Strategic Hot Box with Dr. Brandy Love Stankovic. Discussing leadership, business, and how to take control of your life and achieve greatness. It's time to kick some ass. Girl, Dr. Brandy Stankovic here on the Strategic Hotbox in year five. Can you believe it? I'm also the Chief Strategy Officer at CU Solutions Group. And today we're going to talk about a very important topic, and that is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And as you may know, I have dedicated my career to inclusion from way back in the day in international strategies and helping organizations to translate educational modules into Spanish to working with credit unions on how to accept the matricula consular as a form of education or a form of identification, to working with the World Council in women in leadership and the Global Women's Leadership Network, to even young professionals, and where are my young professionals at? All the way up to being a co-founder of CU Pride and LGBTQ plus network, of course, for credit unions, and being a white ally for black lives. I believe in helping people and organizations be the best version of themselves and making room for people in this industry. I am not afraid to stand up for what is right. And I'm not afraid to be your ally, even when it's not popular, even when that means I stand out, even when that means I'm uncomfortable or I end up being the, the only white girl at the cookout or the only cishet leading the gay network or la gringa in la fiesta está bien because i am tired of discriminatory practices i'm tired of the blatant or socially acceptable ones and i'm especially tired of there being a lack of of, of diversity in in key leadership positions or equitable resources available to individuals across our industry. It's time. It's time for us to come together. Today on the Strategic Hotbox, we're going to dig deep where we can no longer, we can no longer be complicit. And I've invited a few of my friends. You're going to, to recognize a few of these rock stars that are gonna help me break it down individuals that are brilliant and they're going to provide perspective to enlighten this topic it's time for us to dissect diversity and we just need to create a an environment where we all feel like we belong and i want and i've always said that i want younger credit union employees to feel they can have a career in our movement, not just a job. But then there's also some trendy, DEI is a little trendy right now. We are going to move to a colored majority sooner than later. I think it's interesting you all say DEI. In school worlds, we have added J to the end of it for justice because equity is a huge, huge thing in schools these days. In my silence, I have been complicit in that system. Mm -hmm. I have been, in many ways, I haven't taken enough of the stand. Beginning this conversation, here we are on the Strategic Hot Box, right? And it's been five years so, since before, I think, podcasts were, you know, as prevalent as they are now. 
but the and it's been a long journey of learning and hearing from different people and what better way for us to be celebrating this five years by celebrating something that's important to so many people and I knew what I wanted to do I knew I wanted to dissect diversity and yet I knew I couldn't have that conversation without some of the people in this room and so I, I set up a conference call with Renee and I said look I'm gonna tell you something that right now is confidential this is like six months ago or plus and said because I think it's gonna be awesome we're gonna remake you know, a video and we're gonna have this conversation but I can't do it unless you're in and and then and then here we here we are so thank you to you and then I would imagine each of the emails and or calls that I sent to all of you there was a message about specifically why I needed you and I'm very fortunate to say that that you all said yes and so I didn't have to go to second C's so <laughs> <laughs> which was good because that would have been bad um, and and I, I do, and Andy knows this, but I put together the group and then I said, you know what, we can't have this conversation without a white man. We, we just can't. And so I emailed Andy, I said, I, and so Zach and I had this moment of like epiphany saying in the parking lot going, if we were going to invite somebody, it has to be Andy. And so then, you know, I sent the email and immediately he was in as well. So it's, I know that there are so many things happening in all of your lives. And I know that you gave up a lot to be here and be with me. And... And I'm so appreciative because you were all selected so specifically on the, the voice and the passion and the sharing of love. And that was one of the things I was sharing with Andy is you, there is a pool of, of old, you know, I, no, I'm not putting you in this. No, pool, hey, there, no, there is a pool of white men. I got my AARP card. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is a pool of men to choose from. Clearly, you've spoken to it, whatever, but not a pool of men that will come in and not have ego or not be defensive or not. And that was true in all places and all diversities, right? And so we needed to make sure that we couldn't have a brilliant speaker, but then also, you know, doesn't like women. Or couldn't have a brilliant, awesome, something that's outspoken, that has a great quotes, but also doesn't, doesn't get along with gays or whatever. You know what I mean? We didn't have any of those moments. Everybody had to come in with an open heart, open mind, and being able to share and love and learn and all of that. And so it takes that magic of the people that are in this room. So I admire all of you. And my good friend, Dr. Cindy Chun, uh, although isn't a credit union um, advocate in the same way that all of us are, um, you are brilliant at what you do. You are Thank leading you. the way. And uh, I knew that you would come into the conversation and uh, not be shy. Kind of like the woman next to you, <laughs> Linda. I can count, I can count on that, the two of you to be here for that. I want to start our conversation today talking a little bit about our journey in leadership. And first to say thank you very much. I am so very grateful for all of you being here and being uh, this diverse voice and how we can work together to make a difference in the industry and beyond that. And if we can start with our journeys or what brought us today, when I when you got the phone call or the email or the text message from me, what made you say, yes, I'm in? What do you guys think? Linda, why do you say yes to me? I always say yes to you. <laughs> <laughs> why would that be any different? Um, well, I've worked with you and I've, I've worked with the group for, for years and really excited to see everybody here too. This makes it more exciting. But I knew it would be a great experience. I knew I'd... Uh, get um, to provide some information, receive some information, and maybe shake things up. And I, I knew if you were involved, it was going to be great and controversial. So 
I'm always involved in that kind of stuff. So I said yes. Other thoughts? Deja, why? What do you think? Uh, when called, I answer. <laughs> and, you know, I think it's good to hear other people's ideas, feel connected with other people. Sometimes it can be a little lonely, you know, depending on what area you're in. So I'm excited to hear what everyone has to say. Why is diversity important to you? I think diversity is important because everyone wants to feel included wherever they are. Um, and I think that whether you agree with someone or whether you don't, I think it's always important to at least make them feel like they're welcome in your presence, in your establishment, in your home, wherever it is. And is that always the case? Do people always feel comfortable, Juan? Uh, probably not, but you know, at the end of the day, I remember Linda what spoke at an, un at an underground collision a couple of years ago uh, that you were moderating and leading. And I remember she brought up some topics around DEI that were really important and I hadn't ever really seen uh, talked about and discussed uh, in the credit union movement. And I remember thinking back, like, there's so many employees and, and credit union folks that are being inspired by this because they now feel welcomed. And that's why this, this conversation is so important because we know, you know, diverse teams are more efficient, they work better together, and we just need to create a, an environment where we all feel like we belong. And I want, and I've always said that I want younger credit union employees to feel they can have a career in our movement, not just a job. That's right. And you bring up, I think the inclusion idea is an important one because I never want to not make someone feel included. And so if there's something that I'm doing or a way that I am or inherent value or something that I can shift, I want to. And I know that there are several others that are out there that feel the same. But then there's also some trendy, DEI is a little trendy right now. Renee, any thoughts on that? Oh, DEI is not a trend. DEI is not a moment. It is a movement. So while <laughs> others may think it's trending, just the, the stats and the statistics alone will tell you that's not going to happen. We are going to move to a colored majority sooner than later. I think it's interesting you all say DEI. In school worlds, we have added J to the end of it for justice because mm -hmm. equity is a huge, huge thing in schools these days. So um, I think it's interesting you don't add J to it I like in the banking world. I actually love that. Yeah. And I hadn't heard that okay. before that, and I think that we absolutely should. That's like, to me, that's the takeaway from today is that if I talk about it, I think that NJ is there because that shows action, too, mm -hmm. right? And that's, you know. And that's what it's about, right? It, does everyone have equal access, right. the, the, even if they don't want to partake, but do they have the opportunity to partake if they wanted to? Mm -hmm. And that's not always the case. Right. And Andy, what, what's your journey in this space? Do you, why, why here, why now? Had you asked me this question three years ago, I would have said, what DEI problem? Because, you know, speaking as a middle-aged white man in America, I don't see that. I haven't had the same experiences with systematic, systemic racism, prejudice, you know, lack of opportunities than most other people have. Had you asked me even two years ago before I started wearing this pin, I would have said there's really, we, we are not a prejudiced nation. We, don't, we are not a racist nation. But 
when my wife got breast cancer in August of 2019, between that and COVID, uh, a lot of my heart got broken. Not just for, you know, just, just life in general, but then seeing George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, you know, the litany of names in this country who had been victimized by ignorance, by intolerance, by casual racism. Seeing all of that broke me down, and it opened my eyes to the ways in which we marginalize black, indigenous people of color in this country at every step of the way, from access to financial services, access to health care. So in many ways, I'm trying to make up for lost time. Because, because in my silence, I have been complicit in that system. Mm -hmm. I have been, in many ways, I haven't taken enough of the stand. And my allyship up until a few years ago has been performative at best to make myself sleep better at night. And this is, for me, a way to re-educate myself so I can hopefully set a good example to my family and to anybody else that I come in contact with. That's why I want to be here today. Thank you. And I think that you being open to share your thoughts and your vulnerabilities and imperfections even is is inspiring. And I know there'll be lots of people that are listening and watching that that are want to follow in your footsteps in, in that way. And that's not easy for people to talk about, right? And it's in all cases, we're going to talk about all different types of things today. But is it easy to have this conversation? Cedric, what do you think? Um, for me, the anticipation of the conversation was not whether it was going to be hard or easy. It was just the openness of wanting to learn from and see the, and hear the different perspectives. Um, you know, I just hear my parents telling me that your gift will always make room for you. Well, this is an opportunity for my gift, which I believe is people. Um, and, and this platform is going to allow me to listen, hear, take back um, and be the youthful leader, which I, which I feel like I am, to look for our future. Not just where we are now, but we have to develop some young people. Um, and it's going to start there to, to, be in the create, to begin to create that change. So um, hard, yes, sometimes with the conversation, but easy in my mind as to where I would like to see us go. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting even hearing the two stories, and I know my, myself the same, that at some point in my career path, inclusion became intentional. But before then, it maybe was just a, a, what I did and didn't realize it. And then at some point, I, had, I made the choice of, no, no, now I'm going to force my way around and force this, this conversation or force this amongst different communities. Is that the same for all of you? Is it, was it always a calling, or at some point did you decide... I could make a difference and, and speak to others. This has been, it's been an interesting road for me to kind of to watch this because about five, six years ago, Harvard Business Review did an article called How Unethical Are You? And it was about implicit bias research and how, you know, how our preferences influence the choices that we make. So when I was still, uh, this, and actually this is a lot farther ago than that, so I have the publication date wrong, so maybe about 10, 12 years ago now. I was still working for a credit union at the time as their VP of talent development. And so inspired by that article, I did an exercise that I called Roundtable Truths, where 
I had, I told the group, the workshop that I was in, I said, okay, you're walking into a room of a, a group of people that you've never met who are all seated around a round table. And I would show pictures on the on the frame, this round table, with like eight different headshots of there, different you know, white, black, young, old. And I would have them make two snap decisions. One of them was, who do you sit next to? Because there's three empty chairs around the round table. And the second question was, who's the leader of the group? And I would ask the group, why did you choose what you chose? Who did you choose where, who to sit to? Or where did you, why, why did you choose where you sat? And who did you choose as the leader? You can probably guess who people chose. In rooms that I was in, which were vastly majority white, they chose the white older guy as the leader of the group. Mm. And I would ask them, why did you choose that? And the narratives that people came up with were fascinating. Well, he just sits there, he looks like that because of X, Y, and Z. Look at him, he's got a black mock turtleneck on, so that must mean he's a leader because he dresses like Steve Jobs. Mm -hmm. And people would make all of these narratives about these fictional people that they've never met. And I, and I saw this wide rent, this, this incredible trend, and, so, and I've done this exercise over countless times over the last 10, 12 years that white groups will favor the white face. Mm -hmm. And that's about it, because when I speak in the credit union movement, I don't think I'm speaking out of school here, that the vast majority of faces in our industry look like mine. Mm -hmm. And that's where people's, people's preferences would go. And so for many years, that was kind of an academic distinction. Oh, isn't that interesting? Hmm, isn't that curious? But then this happened, and everything changed. It's no longer academic. This is personal now. Mm-hmm. What's really interesting about that too is who you would sit next to, because that speaks to um, who we're comfortable around, right? And so I'd imagine that we would pe- pick individuals would pick people that look and represent them in some way, right? We do that all in front frontline service and et cetera, et cetera. But I was also what came to mind in that is gender. Like I, I probably would never sit next to a, a man because it would be uncomfortable. <laughs> So I would pick the woman, no matter the. So it's there's weird there's it's and it's inherent. Where you do do white people do the nod? Hmm. I was just gonna bring that up. No, they don't. Cedric, tell about the nod. Tell about the nod. The nod is seeing a person that looks like you, and you're welcoming them to the to the party. Yeah, when you walk in, so glad to see, see you. Another, how you doing? All right. So like I found you at the yes. party. There it's a, is it's another a silent code. It's a, it's a silent. I, and I'm talking I got about. You. I don't I got know you. her. I'm uh-uh. saying I don't know uh-uh. her. I don't know her. Uh-uh. But you walk in and you walk in and how you doing, man? How you doing, sis? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right away. And sometimes you, there's no there's no verbal. Mm-hmm. It's just a nod. And I can remember growing up and watching my dad do it mm-hmm. all the time. And we and at some point I said, Dad, why do you say hi to them? Like you don't know them. Why did you? I don't know. That's that's my brother. That's mm-hmm. you know we 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 related somehow. Mm-hmm. I got him. He got me. Yeah. Whatever it is, and it's almost like at this point now, we look for it for, and maybe I'm just speaking for me. Some sense of protection. Oh no, just speaking for us. Yes. Yeah. Should something happen, sis, I got you. Yeah. Keep going. Absolutely. You know, if 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 I see you in the store and I see some cutting up, I got you. Yeah. I think di- different cultures have that because Hawaiians are the same. I don't have to know them, but I know if I ever got into trouble, I would have a thousand people behind right. me. Yeah. But you know, all that we're talking about is actually there's been a ton of research on it for years. Dr. Beverly T- Daniel Tatum um, from Harvard, she wrote a book, Why Do All the Black Boys Sit Together in the Cafeteria? It's the same phenomenon. We seek to be with people that look like us, that 
will make us feel comfortable, that will uh, be like-minded even though we don't know them. And in the exercise that I mentioned, I have three debriefing questions. The first one is, what evidence did you use to make your choice about who you think the person, the leader of the group is and where did you sit? Second question is, is that evidence valid? And the third question is, what opportunities did you miss as a result? The, the second question is the killer one because it would be, if the validity of the evidence means that it's actually true and it's not, they're making up information, mm -hmm. but they're still choosing to stratify a group, categorize the world based on what they see outwardly, and then choose what kind of opportunities they're going to pursue. But in a choice of a seat, aren't their feelings valid, valid? Right? I mean, the whole point is that if I go into it, sure, I'm, I'm judging, mm -hmm. but that's, that's part of it's human nature. Mm -hmm. But aren't my or the not, isn't that valid? Because it essentially is that human's feelings of comfort, security, protection. There's their subjective experience about where they want to choose to sit. Yes, it's extremely valid. Their choice as to who they think who the leader is of the room, where the power yeah, resides, absolutely invalid, but that is the decision that they will defend the most. Mm -hmm. I love the missed opportunity question. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. good. We, I, my company, my training company, um, we used to do an exercise in that thing, right? So the exercise was a list of names and then a list of jobs, and you had to connect them. Mm -hmm. So for instance, mm -hmm. Hubert, and then you had to say what race they were. Mm -hmm. So Hubert Hula Hoosman was a janitor so many times, but Hubert Hula Hoosman was a credit union president. Wow. Wow. So it was just amazing that, and then so when you do the debrief and you tell them who they are, they're like, what? So I just did this with local government um, in a diversity training uh, two, two or three years ago when we were in person, and they were just like, oh my God, because they didn't know. Like, you make these assumptions. Well, why did, why did you choose that? Why did you think that? Mm -hmm. And so... You know, like you said, they'll defend to the death that, well, it's because of, and you look at them like, really? <laughs> okay. It's funny you mentioned that. I mean, I just had a recent scenario where our alarms were triggered. Um, I was in the building, but I was by myself, and somebody forgot that I was there. And so it, police came, and upon me opening the door, I kid you not, the officer said, you know, so it's after hours, are you cleaning? Wow. And wow. I didn't, I did not the, verbally. That's your organization? Well, the police officer that came to the building because the alarm was But you were at work. I was in my office. And he, he's so I come down. Yeah, yeah, right. And we, I'm sure. Still, I'm sure you were dressed well because you were at work. Was the police it, officer white? He was. Absolutely. <laughs> so I did not respond verbally. I took out a business card that said vice president. And he goes, oh. And I felt so much joy in right, that, right. but so much hatred behind mm -hmm. it because that's the first thing that he saw, mm -hmm. the janitor or someone cleaning the building in decent clothes, right. you know? I'm like, I don't look like, but, but then what does a janitor look like? Right. Obviously with right. uniform, maybe, yeah. whatever, right. but that's a recent experience and it is Mississippi and that is a real thing that I deal with. That is always why I wear the pearls. I, I refuse, I refuse for you not to respect me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I refuse. Mm -hmm. I have several pearls in this purse, pearls in that suitcase, mm -hmm. pearls in my car, because you will get treated differently if you have on a set of pearls. Wow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You think that's a status thing? or It's is not it? about a status thing. So it's about you, you, you get it. 
oh, you must be different. Mm -hmm. But how sad that we have to do that. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's it, often sad. Yeah. Often sad. But that's why we're here. Yes. Why we're here. <laughs> well, and it plays, it, it plays across all types of diversities as well, right? I mean, I tell young professionals that I work with, being a female in leadership around, when I go work with a new credit union, a new board of directors for strategic planning, I know I'm going to knock their socks off in planning. And then if we do a social event, dinner or something afterwards, that's fine. But I have now made the, the personal brand choice to never go to a board dinner prior to the session if I don't know the board. And the reason for that is so many times I'm judged in a way that's unfairly to what I'm going to bring in regards to value. And a recent one, I uh, was at a planning session and I was sitting next to the CEO. Turns out we went to the same undergraduate college. Wow, great, having a moment of reminiscing. I didn't realize that. When were you there? What was your major, et cetera? And in that moment, the board chair, across the table of like 10 or 11 people, yells out, did we hire her because she's cute or because she's worth, oh. worth it? And then everybody laughs. <laughs> and now I'm having to go in the session tomorrow. Right. Underwater, right? So not like having to now get back to ground zero to then make up for that. And so I just chose right then. I'm never letting that personal brand, you know, impact that. And then we'll have a great dinner afterwards, whatever. Do you find that's like geographical? I think that gender roles certainly do play, but this was cl closer to home than we than we yeah. might think. Because like in my job, if you look across the nation, there are not very many female heads of schools, let alone female heads of color. But the West Coast definitely has the most, mm -hmm. you know, so like we are not a necessarily a minority on the West Coast, but definitely if I go to the middle or to the East. Can I, can I ask a question? Just, I want to unpack that. What would have happened in that moment if you would have said, excuse me, and uh -huh. if, if you would have, uh -uh. And, 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 I, and trust me, I know that that's, that's in like a million years that probably never would have happened because that you might as well just go and rip up the contract right, right then right. and there. But how, I don't know, I guess I'm just, I'm, I'm frustrated, I'm aghast, I'm aghast, word of the day apparently, um, I'm sad that that happened. And I really wish that we would have a culture where, so, or, or anybody else in that room would have had the temerity to stand up and say, seriously? Now what I would have said, of course you heard me because I'm cute, but I'm good too. I, I really would have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a hard it's a hard balance you know yeah. because if it uh, depending on the role that I'm playing for the organization I think about those kinds of things like am I here to be s sassy and standing up for my injustice or am I here to get them to their results right. and in that moment I just I moved on from it and made the decision I don't know if I'll grow into a place where I feel confident doing those things or if that I made I controlled what I could control yeah. to control the situation, but I also urge young women to think about those kinds of things and think about how they present themselves to the world and what that because of those judgment things you know that you were that you were sharing and focus right so I I this sounds really crazy but I wear shapers all the time because I. As a trainer, my back is to the group. I don't want anybody checking out panty lines and being distracted. <laughs> so there, there are things that you must do as a woman so that you can stay, as you say, above. And if you don't, your credibility is just out the window. So uh, how you dress is important, especially if you're presenting. So it's always, it's what, what's your brand standard? What, what, are you, what, are you, what are you trying to deliver? And you don't want to be the distraction. And you have to know what, what you're bringing. 
So you always know what the end result is going to be. You know you're going to deliver. You know it's going to be fabulous. They don't know that. Right. And so once they have it, you have the opportunity, as Andy said, then you have the opportunity to go back and say, you know, that really wasn't something that a board chair should have said. Mm -hmm. right. You were representing the group. You need to lead in a better way than that. Mm -hmm. So there, there will be the opportunity to have that conversation after it's all over, and you've delivered so phenomenally that they that they'll that they'll hear it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people just can't hear it because of of who and where they are. I am delighted to be one of the voices in this year's strategic hot box. This is where real conversations address real challenges. Recently, we have been on a journey together to explore the meaning and the merits of diversity in our workplaces, credit unions, and communities. These conversations have led to important revelations. I hope you have felt engaged. The diversity topic is important for several reasons. First of all, this should be a natural conversation for credit unions. Our principles and core values advocate togetherness, equality, and community. This is a dialogue credit unions should welcome. Philosophy aside, diversity has a bottom line implication for all our organizations. To the untrained eye, financial services look like a fungible commodity. While pricing and branding may differ, our products function pretty much the same. One of the ways credit unions distinguish themselves is through the insistence that all members deserve an equal opportunity to participate in the governance of their cooperative. This is how we build strong members and memberships. Diversity is our strength. This is our secret weapon. In a crowded marketplace, a focus on diversity is another way we separate our values from other institutions. The biggest lesson I have learned on this journey is how much I do not know about diversity. I have learned much through open discussion with colleagues. The discussions our members share speak of painful experiences and missed chances for inclusion. I still have a lot to learn. My lessons will not come from textbooks or academic treatises. I am inspired the most from you. Your testimonies and insights make me a better human being. All colors should join the fight for equality. The rationale for this appeal is we are all interconnected. Therefore, by definition, if any of us suffer, we all bear an injury. Thought a different way, when anyone achieves success, we all share the benefits of their accomplishments. I hope your engagement here with the Strategic Hotbox will cause you to think and ponder how you can make a difference. We all need your engagement, because if you're thinking about my baby, it doesn't matter if you're black or white. hey oh, It's my favorite time. It's your favorite time. Here are our top three kick-ass. Three things that you could start doing a little differently today. Number one, add justice to DEI conversations. So diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice because it infers actions that create a path for all humans. So diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. Number two, commit to the change. Recognize that DEI is not a moment, it's a movement. It's crucial for organizations and society to build awareness, education, and change. Commit to it, and commit to abating your strategic plan even for the next three years. There I said it, for the next three years, have it be a line item in your plan, a goal, an objective, a strategy, up to you, the next three years. Number three, silence equals 
complicity. Find ways to stand up, speak out, fight the front lines for the voices of the individuals that need to be heard. Join an industry network today, right now. Get out there and do it. Go. That's your top three kick ass. Coming up on Dissecting Diversity. Probably oh. the only Hawaiian you will ever meet who is allergic <laughs> to coconut and does not like pineapple. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I love mango though. As a mom, you do get that mom guilt of mm -hmm. when I walk in with all these children, people are going to go, dang, she got a lot of kids. And I stood in that place where Dr. King had said his speech. And y'all, I'm talking about tears are flowing because I never, I never saw myself standing in that spot. I don't like to work to cookie. You know, I would say cookie instead of cookie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, trying to change the pronunciation in my head of like, why am I, you know, why are they making fun of it? How can I change? And then I felt like I was betraying myself and my, and my culture. Until I see you again, get out there and kick some ass. Woo!